Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we talk about an artist. This week we're talking about Regina Spector. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... I'm Dax. Jared. And this is Tyler. And how did everyone feel about listening to Regina Spector this week? This was just a normal week for me. I listen to Regina Spector every week. Do you? I really do. She's like one of my favorites. Huh. Didn't her... realize you listen to her that often. No, yeah. Her, Ben Folds, uh, like Vampire Weekend, they're all on like a playlist that's like my driving playlist. Be respectful. What? Don't talk about her folks. <sighs> All right. We've already started off <laughs> right where we want to be. Very good. Good, 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 good. Very good. And All it, right. This the, week we are uh, again, yet again, talking about a female artist. About a female artist. It's still Women's Month here at Record Roundtable. Indeed. So, yes. And while we're on that topic, I want to mention uh, she was inspired by like um, – Tori Amos, who's the other person? Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I read, Anna DeFranco. Annie DeFranco, yep. I, I read an article uh, while she was younger, just listening to music. She heard like all the uh, the Russian dudes, uh, Vladimir, what's his name, and all that. What's his name, Tyler? Vysotsky. Vysotsky. And then she started hearing music coming from the States, and it was all male artists. And it hadn't even crossed her mind that she could write music until she started hearing Tori Amos and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and the Beatles and Queen, and, and those were introduced to her via her father, who had gotten them via trading cassettes, and this is actually an interesting bit of Soviet culture because she was born you know, under Soviet rule. The Soviet Union didn't dissolve till she was 11. Right. had actually already immigrated. Soviet culture, there was a huge black market for Western culture in the Soviet Union, particularly yes, in Moscow and St. Petersburg, and a lot of that stuff ended up coming through Helsinki and uh, really a lot through Finland. So uh, it's likely that he took part in that to receive a lot of these items. Yeah. Do you know what the medium uh, of most of the music that came in, was, or a lot of the music that was being distributed? Well, they got records for some of it. Yes. But yeah. it's a lot, it's pretty difficult to get in a 12-inch record. Right. So uh, it's not surprising that he, cassettes were mentioned here, which is not surprising because they're much more conceivable. What do you have? They had uh, X-ray records. They were records carved into like used X-rays. And that's that was cool. like that, that was like a bootlegging process, because there were tons mm-hmm. of X-rays that they just took them from hospitals and made their own bootlegs. I actually, so I took a Russian history, a Russian history class in history. As did I, because I. I was a, his, do a you history have, minor. Do you have Sergei? Yeah. You know this information because he wrote that book, don't you? He did write the book, but I had I took his class. So I'm a, I was a history major, so you know. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, oh yeah, did you take that class online then, or did you take it in person? I took it during the summer, so I took it in person, but it was okay. like a brevi- it was five weeks. So that's weird that we both took the same class and had the same professor and know the same information about like Soviet Russian history. Yep. <laughs> that's all right, cool, useful class because he was a he's a social historian. Just a brief context; it doesn't matter, but right. So you know, yeah. So he wrote a book about like Soviet culture and music specifically. I don't remember the name of the yeah. book. But. It's called Rock and Roll in the Rocket City. Thank you. Wow. That's right. Check it out, everybody. Sergey Izuk. Our sponsor this week, uh, that guy that wrote a book. <laughs> yes. Yes. He was, at Cherno- he was at Chernobyl, actually. We're cultured oh, people here at we, Record Roundtable. We are. Chernobyl Diaries. Check that so, out. Well, I wouldn't mind taking this moment to say that I also really enjoyed this week because I also really like Regina Spector. 
I know that Fidelity is where it started because I came out in 06, and I remember seeing that music video every morning on VH1. I used to have VH1 on as I got ready for school. At that point, I would have been, well, that was going into my freshman year of high school. I think it came out in June, I believe. So that would have been between my uh, eighth grade and, and my freshman year. So I thought it was, I thought the music video was cool. I thought the song was interesting, a little bit different. And I like Regina Spector. And going back to the previous, well, one release at that moment. So the catch, it was is also very good. So I also really enjoyed it. So before I get to Jared, we will get to you, Jared. Do not feel as though we we're forgetting you. I think this is a good point to talk about it since you've mentioned the music video. Uh, I wanted to ask the question because Fidelity was really popularized by the fact that it had such an interesting music video because it was, you know, that was around when music videos were a little bit more timeless. I think that that's when people were putting more effort into them. VH1 mattered more. Like, just seeing music videos mattered to a certain degree. How much do you think music videos at this point, like, really affect people, like, being interested into music? Like, Regina Spector probably wouldn't have had a lot of popularity had it not been for the fact that she had a very interesting music video and a really interesting song to go along with it. A lot of the exposure of that song and therefore that album and therefore her as an artist came from that music video. So, I don't know. You just don't see that anymore. I think that it's very important now especially with YouTube and things like that, you have songs that are number one because of their music video, because not only are they streamed on Spotify, but the YouTube plays also are a factor in that as well now. Yeah. So you have a song like uh, Truth Hurts by Lizzo Mm -hmm. that blew up because of YouTube and became a number one hit because it, it had come out and then it just kind of slowly built to that. You have a lot of things like Billie Eilish is that way. And yes. A lot of people that are getting their fame because of music videos and because of YouTube. Right. Yeah, I think it's a medium that's still really useful for for getting people to see things like that. I don't know that people are watching, like, I don't know that they're watching television in the way that we did to see it. No. But no. online they certainly are. But I think that this goes back to an era, and I don't, you know, I'd have to do some research to say if I could definitively say this, but it almost seems like a golden era of understanding the art form of a music video. Right. For instance, because around that same time, OK Go came out with Here It Goes Again. Here It Goes Again, which yeah. if it weren't for that video, that song wouldn't have been nearly as popular as it Absolutely was. Absolutely not. You know what I mean? And people were doing some interesting things. I mean, music videos have been around for 20 years before that. Right. But people weren't using, you know, people were, but not every band or not as many artists were using them as a platform to say something else. I think that's or really important. Or do something really creative. Right, something yeah. very interesting. Gnarls Barkley Crazy is another example. Yeah, I mean, that has a, And yes. Clint Eastwood by Gorillaz. I yeah. mean, you, there are a lot well, of Well, all the Gorillaz is... Gorillaz is a band that's made for music videos, so we right. know that. But Go back and listen to the Gorillaz episode. Right. Anyway. We don't but also, it's, too much I, on that. It's, I, think it's use, I think it's good to see an artist who understands that a music video should be another form of their art and shouldn't be interpretive of their song because people are, you know, I'm digesting it in my own way, right. your music. So for a while, you know, I think people were making them with a storyline and it was telling you how to, you know, comprehend or understand the song, you know. But when you can get kind of creative about it or at least a little bit different or do something that just, for instance, this music video is just a dichotomy of bland and then eventually exploding into color, you yeah. know, it, you know, the old Wizard of Oz treatment. Sure. So, what do you got there? What do I got? Yeah, what on the you... music video. It's your turn. I don't have much on the music video. You're taking the lead there. Did you Did you watch it? Yeah, he watched. I, it. I have watched seen it, it before. Yes. 
Didn't we watch it together? So what do you have to say about it? It was pretty good. Okay. Very good. I like, uh, she has it featured in a song by Ben Folds. The music video for You Don't Know Me At All featuring Ben Folds is a feature or features Tim and Eric from Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job. Yes, indeed. Directed by Eric Wareheim. And they're both in the music video. And it, the, it plays, the, what they do in the video plays kind of a part in the song. You right. Know, like the, they kind of do a, I don't know, an inter- interpret, interpretation, interpretation or something like interpretation that. Interpretation so. of what's going on in the song. Let's play a little bit of You Don't Know Me featuring Regina Spector. I want to ask you, do you ever sit and wonder it's so strange we could be together for so long and never know, never care what goes on in the other one's hair? Things I felt but I never said, you said things that I never said, so I'll say something that I should have said long ago. Fun bit about that song, just a little context on, on my life as a music listener. Back about 10 years ago now when that song came out, I was making mix CDs that I wanted to put into my car because I had just started driving, and that was the first instance that I really got into like Ben Fold or Regina Spector in their music because I put that song on one of the CDs. Oh, nice. Yeah, So I because I, li- I remember finding that music video because there was a period of time where I was like trying to find singles that I thought were interesting enough to put on a CD so I would like re-listen to the same songs over and over again. So this is one of them. I used to listen to the song all the time, but I found that music video. I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to put this song on there. Great job. It's a really interesting music video. They do a lot of like cool visual stuff from like Tim and Eric style in there. Yep. Let's see. I, I really do wish Regina Spector was involved more in that. I don't think she's in it. I'm trying to think back. She's not in it at all, is no, she? No, she's I not. I don't think so, no. That's a shame. That is a shame. I don't think, to speak to your point of getting into it, I don't think anyone who enjoys a vocalist as an artist could hear any Regina Spector song and not want to listen to more of it. Yeah. She's got such a great voice. Let's talk about her voice a little bit. It's Not only is it good, but the way she sings is very interesting. It's very engaging. Yes. She's really just a master at using her voice as an instrument. Absolutely. Yes. Like when you hear the piano playing, playing with her voice. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's just so good. Like Fidelity does that. Like the staccato, like the back and forth. It's so good. She utilizes the glottal stop. Yeah. Oh, yeah? That's what it's called. I've heard that. What does that mean? It's a sound that stops airflow in the back of your throat. Mm-hmm. So she utilizes that, like in when she sings the chorus, or you know, when she's singing that staccato. Yeah, that's what she's doing. Yeah, that part. Oh, that's yeah, and she uses it. I mean, the, her voice. It sounds like a, it does sound like an instrument right there when mm-hmm. she's singing in the tonal quality. It's really, let's it is l- really good. Let's listen to just the chorus of fidelity. Let's do it. When it breaks my heart. I really respect how hard that must be to play on piano and do that at the same yeah. time. I've seen her do it live and it's not, she still does it, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly the same sound. Oh, yeah. Which is un- uh, slightly unfortunate, but it's not like it doesn't sound good. Yeah. It just, it's not quite as crisp, the stopping, like the stopping. That must have been 
uh, I couldn't imagine she'd be able to do that well on like playing piano with that. Well, I suppose, but she's classically trained. That is true. I mean, she studied piano since she was a child, and then she went. She finished a four-year program in three years, a collegiate, hmm. you know, level program, three years for music. So, I mean, she's classically trained. She's got. I, th- I would. I mean, she's a master of that instrument. Yeah, I did listen to an interview with her talking about playing piano. She said she had to basically reteach herself how to play when she started singing with it. Oh, that's it was a completely separate thing. Crazy. I know that she uh, when she learned, I was reading. You know, they had a piano that was, I believe, her mother's father's when they were in Russia before they immigrated. But once they immigrated, they couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't they bring it with her. It, yeah. And she just practiced on any hard surface that she could find that could represent a keyboard of sorts, right? Oh, yeah. So. Does she have perfect pitch then? She she pull a Mozart? I think it's, no, it's a fingering practice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so before we get too deep, because I have, I want to follow up where we're at, but before that, I want to throw back to Jared. Jared, how did you feel about Regina Spector as a whole? I liked it. I liked the first two albums that we listened to uh, quite a bit. I, they were the ones I was the most familiar with. Soviet Kids, Those Begin being, to Hope. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Begin to Hope and Far. Those are the two oh, that I knew okay. the most. I had never listened to Soviet Kids before. I thought it was interesting. It was very... I liked that album uh, more than I thought I would. And I will... We, we're going to talk about this, so I'll go ahead and get into it. That So the first three albums I really enjoyed, and then what we saw from the, the cheap, cheap Seeds and Remember us to life i felt they were very i kind of winded down and kind of got like a little bit less interested and just kind of i needed to get through it kind of thing mentality because it was very similar and it was less fun towards the end right whereas like there was no fidelity that much on the last album and i felt the same way about far personally i felt like a lot of her personality started to wane after begin to hope i don't know if that has to do with the popularity of her music where it was probably a lot of producers pushing her to make something different than what she wanted to make at that point. But I, I don't know. I, yeah, on that, on far, I like uh, the calculation and eat. eat. Those blue, are both I thought good blue. Songs. I thought Blue Lips was quite an interesting song yeah. too. And, eat da- and dan- blue lips. dance yeah. anthem of the eighties is pretty good too. Yeah, Human of the Year I think is okay. Two Birds I think is okay. Human of the Year is my favorite song off that album. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think I think Far is, you know, as a follow up. I can see where people in retrospect would be like, well, it's not as good, but I found Far to be still be quite a good album. I thought Human of the Year sounded uh, very much influenced by Leonard Cohen. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll tell you, this is a good time to bring up this too. I was reading that she doesn't, she says she doesn't think of her sound as an artist as a whole or an album as one sound. She just goes song by song. Yeah. And finds a sound in a song and decides to make a song sound a certain way, song by song by song. And that, I mean, that plays into why all of her albums seems similar right i mean there's right. you don't see a progression because the progression is an album by album necessarily it's song, by, it's song, song. by song and it can be back and forth on each album yeah that so. makes complete sense actually can you play a little bit i had a bit uh for folding chair but i don't know where it's at so just get into that's it. also an interesting one too now that you mentioned that one jared Still me. my feet are buried in the sand and there's a breeze. It sounds like a dolphin at some point. There's a shadow you can't see my eye. She sounds like a dolphin. That's what I wrote down. Okay. Dolphin sound. That's good. well. That song has a really bit of a important that, material. That's right got there, kind Jared. of an older feeling to it. Yes. Yeah, Almost like a, some slight ragtime or something. Yes. You know, some some circusy stuff. 
She's really interesting. I think that I find her piano playing to be, especially on Begin to Hope and her earlier work, fairly percussive as well. Mm-hmm. I'd like to actually, before we get too deep, because we're kind of bouncing around, let's let's uh, center ourselves. And let's first talk about some of the earlier albums. So I'll throw it to Tyler, because I think you're the only ones who listened to her first two sure. self-released albums. Just kind of give an idea of what those sounded like. We'll do. 2001, she released 1111. And I read about this album that it was, uh, she was more bluesy, kind of focused on bluesiness or influenced by bluesiness. I got about a third of the way through it before I shifted. And I'll say it's a pretty interesting album. It obviously sounds more raw. The piano is just as forward as as it is on the early releases that we're familiar with. But to me, it was more of a jazz, a jazzy album. It was really a jazz piano element. That went through that. So it was a pretty interesting release. Her voice is good. I don't think, I'm, I'm thinking maybe as a vocalist, she didn't quite find her place until she got closer to Sylvia Kitsch and the Begin to Hope sound that we're familiar with. So it was, I thought it was a pretty good album still. I think it's, I think it's worth a listen, especially if you like Regina Spector. I think it would definitely would be worth it. Then we can get into Songs, her second album. I think that was released in 2003, if I remember correctly. Two. 2002. So songs, it begins to come into what we're familiar with. It begins to come into the sound of kind of the staccato pop fusion pianos playing and the, and the sound of her voice that we know as what Regina Spector sounds like. And actually Samson from Begin to Hope was the original opening track on songs. And I will use that for an opportunity if you want Caleb to say Samson's my favorite song. So we Perfect. can do that if you want to. Let's do that. Sweetest downfall. I loved you first. I loved you first beneath the sheets of paper. Lies my truth. I have to go. I have to go. Your hair was long, but deeper Good pick. I love that song. It's so, a really pleasant, so really good. good single. Her voice is so is so phenomenal in that song. And I think it's a good bit of songwriting, too, because she takes a story that's well-known mm-hmm. that, and it kind of flips it. You yeah. know what I mean? And she, is, and she does do a lot of storytelling in her in her singing and her, her songwriting. Very so. much. And she's also very interested in like biblical themes in her music yeah. as well. So. Yes, she is. So That's a good example of that. Yeah, I found the whole biblical thing interesting. I... I Picked it up a lot, but it's really not like super forward. No, it's not, like it's never a point. It's not pressing, which is really interesting. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. I don't feel like she's trying to tell me. It's just a thematic element, it, right? Yeah, it's it's just, just part of the storytelling that right. she does. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of religious ones, uh, Baby Jesus. Uh, what was that released on? Was that that was part of an extended edition, or uh, the vinyl release of Begin to Hope, for instance, was a double album instead of just the single. And I believe, I can't remember if that was on the very end of that or if it was a bonus track on the full version of that album. But it was on Begin to Hope as a, as a little tidbit extra. It's a really interesting song. It has a, a weird, interesting story. And uh, just, just play it, because there's something I want to talk about of it. Jesus in a window, in a window of the 99 cent store. 
last night I saw the owner kiss it and whisper in its ear I was walking home from Walgreens and he didn't hear me see him And on the bare, bare next morning all the subway cars were hollering it's a great example of the way that she uses her voice as an instrument. It's yeah. So it's like, again, this is early Regina in my mind where she's got so much charisma to the way that she performs her music. She does. And it, well, it's because that's more forward too. Right. Dex. So about this song, uh, it sounds pretty familiar. It sounds like uh, the Partridge family. I, uh, I think I love you. In the middle of a good dream Like all at once I wake up From something that keeps knocking at my brain Before I go insane I hold my pillow to my head And spring up in my bed which, I mean, they're both just taking, like, thematic themes from other things. But yeah. still, I wanted to get a boop-boop-a-doo in there. What I'm, getting, get what I'm getting from it is that the Baby Jesus song is uh, clearly inspired by her heritage, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, the th- that's, a, that's an Eastern European style of oh, music yeah. that we're hearing. And, it's, and that's yeah. what we're hearing in the Partridge Family song as well. So, I don't, for me, I don't know about that one as a ba-doop-a-doop. That's the only one I got. But, I had to do one of them. But I do know that it's, it is the same. It is the <laughs> same style. The basis of it. One day you'll evolve and you'll not have to rely <laughs> on your crutches, Dax. What about uh, listen to a little bit of O Marcello? I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. Understood. Understood. Oh, Marcello, how I wonder the Madonna when she speaks, she tell the truth, no? She's been saying that, have a baby when he grew up. Now play Nina Simone. Please don't let me be misunderstood. When everything goes wrong, you see some bad. But I'm just a soul whose intentions are I'm so glad we got some Nina Simone into this episode. That's true. Unfortunately, it had to be for such a not as great uh, uh, excuse of a boobadum. It's a complete and total homage. It is yeah, just, that's and pretty it good. Is, you just fucking <laughs> shit on it. I want to, to see what you oh, said. Oh, it's pretty good. Because it's, well, there's a difference between an homage, as you knew it was, and a boobadum. And a boobadum. It sounded familiar. So, anyways, Regina Spector. She's covered Nina Simone too. Has she just really? straight up covered her? So huh. that was cool that she put that a little. Uh, she does a lot there. of covers. Yeah. So she did a cover of uh, "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" mm-hmm. for a, a soundtrack of that one movie. Uh, she did, and it's kind of she did. She was featured on the entire soundtrack. She was one of the people who created the soundtrack. But it's kind of weird because it's a cartoon and it's a children's film. Kubo and the two strings. Yeah, and the issue with it is, is it's kind, it's kind of cool. Yes, that she did a cover of it, but it's in the vein of like a, what we think of a traditional Oriental musical style, you know. Which is that's what I'm getting at. The face mm-hmm. you're making of you can't talk about it like that is oh exactly what I'm trying to get at with it. Not that it's 
you know, a little bit of the vapors, maybe. I don't know how to describe it. You know what I mean? It's there's a difference between doing a cover because you want to put your artistic spin on it, and doing a cover for a movie that has a theme and you're trying to follow a theme. Some cultural you know appropriation, perhaps, is maybe. what you're accusing her of. Oh my! Not not her, oh. but Hollywood. Hollywood. And they roped her into it. Speaking of Hollywood, you want me to do that? <laughs> so, but she did. She did do. She covered no surprises off off OK Computer by Radiohead which is a pretty all right cover of that song. Uh, I don't know how to, how to describe it. That song, to me, is kind of a floaty, move-along song, and that's how kind of how she did it, so it's whatever. But it's interesting. She, it shows that she's got interest in various different places in music, which we already know. But Did her, she release a studio version, or is it like live? It's like a single version. Okay, I didn't listen to yeah, it. Yeah, it's I a studio know. version. But she's done covers of a couple of different people, to, and it and it just shows, you know, her, it shows her influence, her influences, you know, things that she listened to or things that she found interesting. Right. So she's kind of pulled from all over in music, you know, because of her heritage, because of the type of things that she listened to that she was introduced to from her father, because when they moved, she grew up in New York, and in a certain scene in New York, she went to, you know, she went to some private schools in New York for a while, and then into public school, so... I think it's, I think she does a really good job of what it seems like pulling from her experiences in terms of influences and putting that into her music. I think that's interesting. Not everyone can be particularly good at doing that. She also sampled uh, Patti Smith group Privileges or Privilege Set Me Free on the song Poor Little Rich Boy on Soviet Kitsch, which is another um, influence that she cited is Patti Smith. How do we feel about Soviet Kitsch? I liked it. I really, my favorite song from that album, it's not my favorite song, but if we're going to, you know, get in, do it. I think my favorite song from Soviet Kitsch has to be, oh my God, why is it not first? Here we go. Your Honor. Your Honor is a pretty good song. It's like a punk song. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's very It unlike. comes up on you and you're like, what? What's happening? Right it's got now? like a very driving guitar riff, and you're like, "What?" Is it does. Okay. Which she also plays guitar, right? And it's she, just and her in, secondary instrument. Yes, it is. So that's interesting. Um, I thought I think that's a good album as well. This is my favorite Regina Spector album. It's yes. my. It would be my second favorite. Next, I really enjoy. Next to it. begin to hope. Next to begin to hope. That's begin to hope is I'm my at. second favorite. Yeah. And I really do enjoy Soviet Kitsch. And I've always liked Ode to Divorce. I just think it to, to be an interesting song. It is. And as an opener. It's not a song, you know, most openers are something something that could be a single right. or that kind of drives. This is just an interesting song. I don't know what to say about it. I'm not sure that it, it doesn't not work as an opener, but it's not what I would think of as an opener right. on an album. And I think it's really good. Now, my favorite from this album would be Us. That's my favorite one from it. Hmm. I think that's a, a really, really uh, interesting, good song. My favorite song is off of Soviet Kids. All right. And my favorite song off of the album is Chemo Limo. That is good. I've been saying crispy, crispy Benjamin Franklin in my head all 
week. I knew when I heard it, that's what part that you were going to point out on there was oh. the crispy, crispy Benjamin Franklin. That is such an interesting line. Keep and it I, crispy. Crispy, crispy Benjamin Franklin has been stuck in my head. Like, I'll be, like, waking up in the morning, and my brain just goes, crispy, crispy Benjamin Franklin. And I'm like, that's, what's going on? That's so funny. I was, it was so clear it was my favorite song. Well, I was reading, I, when I was reading about, you know, hey, how she thinks about uh, her songs and lyrical and this or that, that's another thing that she likes to do is just create dreamscapes with weird stuff in it. Yeah. And she just puts things into it. And writes about dreams of whatever. Sometimes she so, just writes about like eating yeah. meatballs. Yeah. Like it's just whatever she wants to That's eat, right. talk about in her, her music That's is right. what she talks about. I had the same experience of something getting stuck in my head. Yeah. Uh, mine is from the song uh, That Time off of Begin to Hope. Hey, remember that time when I found a human tooth down on the sea? Hey, remember that time when we decided to kiss anywhere except the mouth? Hey, remember that time when my favorite colors was pink and green? Hey, remember that month when I only ate boxes of tangerines? So cheap and juicy! Tangerines Hey, remember that time That's so good! Isn't she been, so, that's so, so juicy good. over and over? How, oh char- how, how charming is she when she's she says so those things? She's so charming! I know, it it's is. It's crazy! She so is. let's talk about it a little bit. So Who like, would have thought hmm? that in this year we would have two bands that we talk about <laughs> that bring up tangerines in and their music? so close to they each other. They are close to each so other. So close! We've been dying to talk about tangerines all year, and we waited, and we waited, and we talked about tangerines. They're juicy, cheap too. Uh huh. Cheap and juicy. I love. She's so she's so charming. I love her. It's part of it is the delivery of like lines like that that are just normal, mm-hmm. like a normal thing to say. And it's just. It sounds like she's having fun when she's performing her music. Yeah, and it's like cool. That's what you want. I don't know. I think that that's what makes her early albums the first two for me. And then everything from there kind of falls off. Sometimes there's some good songs. Like, for instance, we played earlier um, Oh Marcello. I think that that's an example of a song where you can kind of get some of her charm off of her music again. But I think that it kind of falls off, like, later on. But those first two albums, like, are so dense in terms of her personality shining through her music. And that is, I think, the driving force of Regina Spector being an interesting artist is that you can sense her within her music. It's not that she's just playing music. It's that the music that Regina Spector makes is made by Regina Spector. Yeah, and it's interesting because every once in a while you can hear like an accent, her accent come through when she sings certain things. Right. And I, I, nothing I love more than hearing her accent come through a little bit and some when she says certain words. Right. Texas crushing over here. Look dude, at this. She's I red. I love <laughs> Regina Spector, dude. I don't know what, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I know it is. It's just a collection of all of these things. There's just something about her, and it's something about the time in my life probably too, I'm sure. A mm-hmm. little bit of nostalgia, but... Time. I, I love... Yes, time. Mm. You've got time. The theme song to Orange is the New Black. <laughs> all right. Hey. He did hey. it. He did it, guys. Hey. Uh, I always thought she wrote that, and then they used it, but she wrote it specifically for she that did. show. She I, did. I never she knew did. that. So that song, You've Got Time, for the series, was nominated as the best song written for visual media at mm. the Grammys. Mm. So there's one of her Grammy bits. The old Grammy bit. Did she win? I don't think so. Oh, or else it would have said it won a Grammy for this. That's Instead, true. it said it was nominated. It's true. So, But it's still good. I mean, 
I, that's a weird category because you know how they do. Don't focus on things that matter and focus on dumb new categories. But oh well. But at least she's getting recognized for it. So Dax, that wasn't your favorite song. That was not. I I almost picked it for that part, but that was not my favorite song. Which is what then? Hotel song. Come in, come in to my world. I've got to show, show, show you. Come in to my bed. I've got to know, know, know you. I have dreams of orca whales and dolls, but I wake up in fear. You will never be mine. You will never be mine. It's just so cheery, and it's called Hotel Song, which makes me happy, because I live in hotels. Oh, I yeah. really do live in hotels. He gets into the hotel room, and he, he just puts that on repeat the entire time he's there. Here I am in my hotel. Okay, so I guess it's important at this point to go ahead and transition into those like last three albums. Far, what we saw from The Cheap Seats and Remember Us to Life. I think that both Dax and Tyler said that they really enjoyed Remember Us to Life, but I know, Jared, you said that effectively at that point in time, your interest started to wane because of just... I did enjoy what we saw from the cheap seats more than what I kind of led on. Because I, yeah. I like song, I like Mar- the Marcello, which we talked about, Don't Leave Me was a good song. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like the song Firewood, if you'll play just a little bit of it. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Tom Waits, The Piano Has Been Drinking. That's a, I think that album is also quite good, and I'm glad we did th- we listened to that one. The Party was a song I thought was pretty good on it, and I don't think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't go ahead and play a little bit of Don't Leave Me. Some nice pop sensibilities of there, reminding us of anyone? Vampire Weekend. Oh, I would agree. Yeah, that's probably I why agree. I like her so much. Yeah, I was wondering, <laughs> when I listened this week and that song reminded me of it, I go, this is probably why, why Dax likes them, you know, yeah. likes them or likes her. I don't know which one it is. Which one do you think it is? Oh, that's a good question. I know. I just like that whole style. That yeah. that vibe just speaks to me. Well, it's a certain kind of, well, she's she is listed as art pop some places, which I think is that's fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. And I think that you can some... I think Vampire Weekend can fit in that category oftentimes as well. So I think that that works. Uh, I think one thing that's important to remember, and then I want you to go ahead and talk about you know these three, is that she once she got onto a major label, she re-released Soviet Kitsch. 
Begin to Hope is really her first major label budget release. So she did some exploration. But far, what we saw from The Cheap Seats and Remember Us to Life are all on a major label with a bigger budget. And she's just kind of continued to explore a vastness of sound, if you will. So as the sound swells, I think that that's kind of a place where you, where, like what you think, Caleb, she begins to lose a little bit of the personality that we're familiar with from the first two releases. Correct. Uh, so I don't know. What, I don't know what I see her expanding as a creative artist in terms of sound, but it's just the same thing that I feel when I think about how connected I am to early releases of indie or punk bands where it's more raw where I can feel more emotion or I can feel more of, you know, the specific whatever it is that that was driving them at that moment. And as it goes along, you tend to kind of lose some of that, you know, because of polish, because of becoming more popular. So you have more money to work with, what have you, you know, so I, I don't me I don't write these albums off as not full of Regina. They're just full of Regina in a different way, I guess. And I, and you got to kind of look at it a little bit differently. Yeah. As so I think when she was open to more like opportunities as far as the budget and what she could do goes, uh, like her first couple albums, she probably had a harder time making like with more like restrictions, creativity, like really thrives. So I think when she didn't have as many restrictions, she could do just whatever. She had all the options in, in front of her. She just really had a hard time finding it again. So I think the first two albums were great. Uh, far and what we saw from the cheap seats. I liked, I, I genuinely liked, but I think, what, uh, what is it? Remember, Remember us to life. Yeah, I think that when she's starting to get her swing back. I think, so I think that from my perspective that it's not necessarily a rawness that I get off of her first two albums, though I could see the way you're putting that. I think that more what I see as is that I think that far what we remember from the cheap seats and remember us to life are actually more compelling musically at points. But I think that, and this is kind of uh, goes back to the whole charm and charisma of her. When I listen to the early music, I think to myself, this is music that was made by Regina Spector. And when I listen to far what we saw from the cheap seats and remember us to life, I think this is music that could have been made by anybody. I don't get Regina Spector off of that music. I just get pop sensibilities and piano balladry and whatever with some Regina Spector flair. I just don't see as much of her in her later music. I think that it's musically compelling. I think that it sounds good. It just doesn't draw me in the same way because I don't sense her in the music the same way. Yeah, I can see that. I think for me, out of those last three releases, Far is the one that I think when I go back and think about it, for me stands out the the most because I feel I felt that way. I'm not saying I didn't feel like these kind of didn't meet up or were something that you can kind of just listen through and it's whatever a little bit. But now when I go through and look at the track listing and think about songs that I found were interesting on those, I think the far stands out a lot more than I think. And uh, for instance, when I got here and you today and you're watching Anthony Fantano's review of Remember Us to Life, which I was. what he gave it, what he wanted to give it an eight. Yeah, he gave so, it a pretty, pretty strong eight actually. Yeah, and it's. I'm glad he did so because like he like Dax said I think that it she's coming into finding something with that amount of sound. And I think it's I, I still think it's very interesting and I still think that there's plenty of her to be found in it just in a different way. But that's that speaks to the personal you know digestion of music in and of itself. So Right. Of those 3 I think that Far is my favorite 
as well out of those um, because I have the most interest in it from before because I enjoyed Begin to Hope and I followed her, you know, after that. So I liked the album far. And then once she put out what we saw from the Cheap Seeds, I kind of listened to the singles and just didn't really care that much about the album when it came out. And then I didn't even know that Remember Us to Life had come out until we, you know, like did this this week. Um, I thought that the Trapper and the Furrier was a pretty good song. It kind of reminded me of uh, Bob Dylan in terms of like the way that she wrote the song and the performance of it. Um, but the rest of it just kind of was there. You know, it, it was not as compelling. It was more balladry and not as, um, not as upbeat and it's not as fun of a record, which is fine. You know, like, if she doesn't want to make that record, then she doesn't have to, but it, it's just not, it's, it's harder to get into and it's harder to be a big fan of that kind of sound. Small bills from the last album was really interesting. It, it kind of, it, it had an interesting a video jarring. as well. Yeah. I did not expect it when I was listening through. That was the first time I had heard it. So bleeding heart was the single off of that. Any, did it do anything for any of you? Really, I don't even know what that song is. I don't remember it. It's the op- it's the opening track, but that was the, the you know the initial release single from that from that album. I, it, I to me, it didn't you know. I, for instance, the Trapper and the Furrier, the one you mentioned, stands out much more to me than the oh, Bleeding yeah. Heart does. Uh, I just found it interesting because the you know the single didn't really. That, that is interesting. I didn't. I don't remember that song really. Well, I don't think that I don't think that Remember Us to Life made a lot of traction i don't think that it was really an album that made a big difference for her that album came out in what 2016 yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i don't i just don't think that like i don't think she was doing anything really compelling in 2016 i don't know anything about her from 2016 i just don't think that I, there's i think this is really the big final question is how much of an impact she has had on music other like because really most people know regina specter probably assume that she's a one-hit wonder is she a one-hit wonder jared she does not have any hits oh so fidelity was not a hit no Oh, I thought it was a hit. I it got to it number 71, I believe. 71. Okay. But, I mean, it, it got her to prominence and got, I mean, she, her two records after that got to number three and number three. Right. Um, and then the most recent album got to number 23 on Billboard charts, um, album wise. Mm-hmm. So she was able to continue that uh, success in the middle two albums on Eat and on or is that what it's called? No, Far, sorry. On Far and what we saw from the cheap seats. But yeah. it was, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the what the issue is in terms of critical acclaim and popularity for the most recent album. Right. Do you think her sound can really, like, thrive in, like, the music scene of today? Yeah. Sure. You think? Absolutely. Absolutely. She's. I mean, she's. she has a... a, a exuberant amount of pop sensibilities. There's no reason why and, her music couldn't And her voice is land. phenomenal. No, I mean, I, so, I mean, I know it would be somewhat popular, but I, I couldn't see it getting to the same level that it had when MTV was No, I agree with, yeah. The, the mid-2000s was a much brighter time for her in terms of, like, those that kind of pop. It is like a, like a Daniel Powder single. Like, mm-hmm. had a bad day. Mm-hmm. Like it's that, not as... It's very difficult to have the voice... Like, the sound that she has... And have another hit at 39. Right. You know, like going into her 40. And she's going to continue to have success. And she just did a sin on Broadway recently. Yes. Yes. 
And I mean, it's the song that I mean, her biggest, probably her second biggest hit, other than Fidelity, is the song for Orange Is the New Black. Probably, you know. So I mean, and that was a relatively. I mean, the show isn't, I suppose, that recent, but within the last seven years or something like that. But I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I. I don't see when she puts out another album. I don't think that she's going to have a hit. But no. I think she'll continue in the same way that Fiona Apple, uh, another artist that you know we've talked about on Record Roundtable. I, I kind of see them as kind of uh, similar in terms of success. Very much so. Well, it's still about crit- being critic, being good at what you do, right? Mm-hmm. And right in creating good music. I mean, it, we had this discussion. When did we discuss this last? For uh, when did we talk about that? You know, what what does it mean to be for the Nationals when we talked about this? Yeah. You know, what's it really mean to be successful? Is it all about critical? You know, or, or commercial. yeah, or is it about a combination where you know you have a lot of people like you and your music is good, but you don't, you know, you're not going out there and blowing everything up. So I don't know. I fact I in my research I came across, for instance, when Tom Petty was still alive, someone tweeted at Tom Petty and said, "Besides yourself, who do you think is the most talented musician alive today?" And he said, "I'd either say J.J. Kale or Regina Spector." Mm-hmm. You know. So, in terms of sheer talent, it's almost like you know she can use it in in all kinds of any way. Yeah. And it'll come out being good. Yeah. You know, whether it blows up in the pop charts or not, doesn't really matter. I mean, that whole album, Begin to Hope, is full of phenomenal songs. For sure. And if you ask anyone, they only know Fidelity anyway. Right. So who cares? You know, we're kind of, at this point, we're repeating the national conversation a little bit. But, you know, the reality of it is, is when people hear a song they like, they play it on repeat. It doesn't always mean you go in and find out what else there is from that artist. Right. No, absolutely not. And it really is kind of a shame that when you think about it, there was a point in time where maybe a lot of those songs, like Samson, could have been... I mean, Samson was a pretty popular song for sure. Yeah, it's her third most popular. But nowhere near as popular as Fidelity has a lot of listens on Spotify, but like that doesn't mean that it like made a big difference. I'll show you. Hold on. No, I believe I just didn't like the way you said it. Yeah, because Samson has 82 million and Fidelity has 87, so they're right. nearly they're nearly identical in terms of their listeners on Spotify. But nobody thinks about Samson when they think right. about well, no one. Regina Spector. That's the weird thing about it, right? Is Samson the Bible? It, well, Samson is a sleeper hit, if you will, right? Because yeah. that's one of her. I from when I what I found, that's like one of her most popular songs. Everyone knows that over time, mm-hmm. it's become a song that people really solidly know as one of her best songs. Right. But it wasn't when everything blew up. Right. You know, so it's weird. That's, that's the thing is over time, time may tell that you were way better than people thought you were, which is what happened for the, you know, like the nationals early albums, for instance, when we talked about it, people have gone back and been like, well, these are a lot different or, you know, yeah. anytime pitchfork changes a review because they're like, we're stupid for giving that a five. It's really like a 9.3. And then you're like, wow, where were you? Right. You guys are. So, and that goes into her, you know, what did she com- contribute to pop? And in the world of art pop, it's like anytime you make decent music, you're contributing to it. Right. So it's like, <laughs> you could almost say she contributed to everything during that time period. Sure. Yeah, begin to hope, you know, without begin to hope, would we have different sounds in pop that aren't just a bunch of garbage? Because around that time, for instance, what I can also remember is Gwen Stefani's, some of Gwen Stefani's like mid-popular career. You talking about like Hollaback Girl? I'm talking laughter. I'm talking about uh, Sweet Escape. Okay. Okay, which is on the album after Hollaback Girl, I believe. Okay. 
So, you know, that's okay, but it's just following a rubric of early 2000s. I keep hearing the squeaking of your headphones while you're talking about things. No, it's his chair, I think. No, it's, no, it's definitely it's my headphones because I can't. I was trying to figure and... out what that was, and it just yeah. hit me. Yeah, I keep, I keep hearing the squeak while you're talking. It's just so, so funny. Um, anyway, yeah, so we were following a, a trajectory mm-hmm. of kind of building off of the pop explosion of the early 2000s, like, you know, with the Backstreet Boys and all of those things, the pop sounds that we heard there that were really heavily electronic and based around manufactured beats and, you know, kind of a weird fusion that in a way it came out of, who knows where it came out of. It's kind of a weird thing. And it's nice to hear someone play a real instrument and make pop music who has a good voice, who plays good music, and can do it with just them and a piano or something, you know, like right. that's something that we hadn't seen in a while, really, in a way. So, so I think sometimes when we think of what, you know, what did she contribute, if we're, if that's a question worth asking, is almost just like bring bring us back to somewhere else, reminding us that this stuff can all be done more simplistically, you know, with with things we already have, with things we're familiar with. I mean, it reminds me of Elton John and Billy Joel who play piano, or, or mostly Fiona Elton John. Apple who or did Fiona the same Apple, thing. exactly who right. do, do does those things. So. Because, I mean, a lot of what she does is similar to what she does on, like, Idler Wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a comparison. Is right. A lot, of, a lot of just piano-based music that's very vocally centric is kind of her gig. But then again, like, I think that Regina Spector's big thing is just the, the building of her production value later in her music that I think impacted the way her music sounds. But to go back to the question, I think what... I find interesting is just this idea that people don't really consume albums in the same way as they do singles. And so when you hear a single, like you said, you don't think to go look at other music from that artist. Sometimes you just keep listening to the same song over and over again. And maybe Regina Spector would have had more of an impact if it was a case that people actually did consume music differently and saw oh, hey, there's this really good song, or there's this really good song. Like, what we're doing on this podcast is very different than what other people do in terms of music. People don't sit down and delve through all of an artist's music. They find the songs they like, and they listen to the songs they like, typically. I feel like you'd find a lot of people that are similar, a lot of artists that are similar to her from that time period that are female artists that had a hit like Fidelity. So you have Feist with one, two, three, four. You have Sarah mm-hmm. Bareilles with Love Song. You mm-hmm. have Ingrid Michaelson that had songs. Mm-hmm. You had um, Brandy Carlisle that had a, uh, the song The Story. You know, you have a lot of. Uh, Who did the Pocketful of Sunshine song? Uh, that is Natasha Bedingfield. That would she's be pretty good too. I like her, but um, no, she's not Fiona. She's no Fiona. <laughs> she's no Princess Fiona either. And she's certainly no Regina. Get out of my swamp. But I, I mean, you have people like that that. All of those people continue to make music. Yeah. And they probably are all worth going back and listening to in the same way that Regina Spector is. You know, sure. like Feist is still good. And um, Ingrid Michaelson just put out an album this year that is uh, influenced by the show this, uh, Stranger Things, which is really interesting yeah. that she did that. But, like, I mean, all of those people in that time that fidelity came out around 2000 what seven is that 2006 yeah, 2006 2007 where it was popular and stuff that like all of those female or i mean any pop people but especially female artists that have more credibility you know that they had one song that people know 
But even after that, they're worth going back and listening to. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same idea. Like Feist is a great example because Feist is art pop, and because and Feist is really good. And Feist is and the album that one two three four came off of is probably their best album. And it's it's just like Begin the Hope in terms of, you know, the quality of it. Well, that people I, don't know. I think that what's interesting, though, about Regina Spector as an artist is that there is something that makes her stand out from those artists, and that's that she's classically trained and makes yes. really, like, in, very uh, elaborate music and is very, very technically sound. But most people would look at her and think that she's just a Natasha Bedingfield. Who, not to say that Natasha Bedingfield is a bad artist or anything or that she's not per, technically proficient. She's way but, more pop. But she's way more pop. She probably doesn't have the same technical abilities as Regina Spector right. because she's classically trained. But you would think, if you only knew Fidelity, that that's what Regina Spector would be. Right. But she's not. No, because there's a, a lot more under the surface. It's craft. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's craft. It's not just a thing. It's craft. But it is. And another thing that I think separates her from, and I like Feist, like I said, but her voice is less. Her voice is just phenomenal. I mean, Feist has a good voice, but she doesn't have a control over it in the way that Regina Spector has control over her voice. Right. And it's just, it, it that puts her a step up. And that's the thing is, you don't have to be a really good singer to sing pop, necessarily. necessarily. But when you have a good voice and you can do things like what she does, it's just like, you know, how can you not, I don't understand how you can't want to hear more of it. Sure. Because it's just, it's phenomenal. Jared, you have not played your favorite track yet. That is true. I was thinking about that, and I was like, I wonder if this is going to end without me playing a song. But no, it gonna. didn't. It didn't end, everybody. I, don't let, I won't let that happen. I was going to choose Fidelity, but we've already played it. So uh, I think I'm going to choose The Call from the Chronicles of Narnia soundtrack because I thought that was a pretty good song. You don't like it? All right. I won't play The Call. No, you can choose it. That's your surprised. choice. I'm going to play Better. How about Better. <laughs> That's a also a really good one, but yeah. you can choose the call if you want. That's They're your both choice. my favorite songs, as well as Fidelity, and a lot of them are my other favorites. I like Better. It's a good song, too. I love that she does things like that and just changes it right in the middle of the song. To I, something I, don't think I, it. I don't think I've ever seen him smile so much while oh, we've man. done an episode. I don't know what it is about her, man. That's good. <laughs> the He's thing is, just, I love it, dude. Just glowing. I don't know. I love it. She makes me smile, man. Do we have any closing thoughts on Regina Spector? He's, Spectre he's blushing and she's rushing. <laughs> what? He's blushing and... I get right. it. It's, I get it. I just, it. I just... Anyways, so closing thoughts on Regina Spector? No, no. <laughs> He said everything he has to say. I, I pretty much I did. She's good. She's real good. I want to say I'm glad that you chose Regina Spector. I was happy when you said that you might, and then you teetered, and I'm glad that you stuck with it. Yep. Dax I thought of, I Jax. thought about it as well, but I'm glad he did because I didn't have to. So that's good. Dax chose Regina Spector. Yeah, I so. did. Yeah, he did, and I'm very happy because she's. I just love. I don't know why I love her, but I do, and she's awesome, and her voice is beautiful, <laughs> and her piano playing's fun. 
and it's just great. She's okay. real party too. I have a question, really quick. It's a it's super easy, brief one. Regina versus Fiona, who wins? Regina. Go. Regina. I would choose Regina too, but it's oh you man, know. all right. Everybody picks Regina except for me. That's fine. I'm just I was just curious if everybody would like if she would be. Because there's a good comparison between the two. Yeah. It's the battle of the people know one song. <laughs> well, I'm not choosing it for that reason. No, I, I, no, I know that. No, I, I'm just saying that if you ask people, like, well, most, yeah. pe- most people that know Fiona Apple only know that one if song. And trying, that music video and that. And the same Jared's, thing with Fiona right. Apple. Jared's using Family Feud rules. Oh, so yeah, so yeah, survey yeah. says Regina Spector, but. Who would be third? We don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Send us in a letter. <laughs> Send us in a letter. Yeah. Send it to us. But yeah, I actually, I would say that I was more, I was more excited for Regina Spector than I thought it would be. I was like, oh, okay, Regina Spector, that's an interesting choice. Cause like, I don't know her as like an album person, but it turns out that she's got some pretty good albums when you dig into them. Not all of them. Like I didn't love everything, but no. I liked what I heard. But I think Begin to Hope, they got a 7.5 on Pitchfork. Yeah. Which is a good rating. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, but it's just really, a, I think it's a really great. I gave great it a seven album. six. Oh, you beat them out! Take that, you Chicago-based dirties. You dirty dirties! All right, let's close out. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. We've been talking about Regina Spector. We're going to continue Women's Month by talking about Joanna Newsom. Please tune in. Thanks for tuning in this week. Bye bye. Take